You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. What's going on, U.S. Cellular customers? I've got good news, so don't hit skip, at least not yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What is Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like $1,200 off any phone plus $300 off any tablet. No, I didn't just misread that. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular exclusive offers just for you, just to say thank you. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get $1,200 off any phone plus $300 off any tablet. Terms apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today I had a few comments. Don't really know how else to phrase it than that. Um, There was an article uh, that referenced something to the effect of how Gutekunst's first draft class is lagging. And I just want to bring some perspective to that because, I mean, as I've told you all before... I think we look at the Green Bay Packers in a vacuum entirely too much. Right, the Packers are the most injured team in football. Wow, wow, wow. Never been the case. In fact, they've been, as I've said sometime in the offseason, I did a whole episode on it. They're one of the healthiest teams over the last five years. I mean, literally, I think they were the healthiest. I don't know, but it was top five for sure healthiest teams in football over the last five years. And all we've heard from Packer fans, this is the most hurt team in football. Fire everybody. This is ridiculous. It's just, it's not true. But we don't look at every other team. We make statements comparing, (laughs) statements that directly compare the Packers to other teams without actually analyzing other teams, which is just beyond me. And so there was, uh, again, an article saying that the Packers draft class is lagging, which doesn't necessarily um, compare the Packers draft class to other teams. But I think without doing that, you're lacking a lot of context because you're putting in a standard that says this is where they should be. However, down here is where they are. The problem is you're not really supporting the fact of this is where they should be. How, how did you come up with that? Unless the standard is, and I think a lot of people have this standard, guys that you draft should be good. The problem with that standard is 95%, and yes, I'm making that up, of the guys that are drafted are not good. I mean, I've, I've been tracking, as I've said, I've been tracking every single draft pick, every single one, all 200 and some odd draft picks to see how they've been doing. Almost all of them are straight up trash, including first round picks. I mean, just in general, most football players aren't that good, but especially most football players in the, you know, you get a kind of a saturation effect in the NFL because, you know, in a draft, you've only got so many first-round picks and so many second-round picks, and it's it's an even distribution of first-round picks and fifth, actually, there's more fifth-round picks. But in the NFL, you start to see the maybe the first-round picks kind of last a little bit longer, whereas the seventh-round picks are gone within a year. So when you're looking at the landscape of the NFL, you've got a lot more early picks than later picks as compared to just a straight-up NFL draft. So the NFL is going to be better than an NFL draft, if that makes sense. But then you add in the effect of it's their first year. I mean, it's just garbage across the board for the most part. So again, I want to add a little context to how the 2018 Packers draft class is doing as compared to, and all I did was compared to the rest of the NFC North. Because obviously it's easy to look at and go, "Eh, that was a kind of a trash class. I mean, Jair, but outside of that. Mm -hmm." And it's, it's not wrong. I mean, ideally what you want 
is to have a draft kind of like last year's Colts draft class or the year before that, the Saints draft class, or the year before that, the Chiefs draft class, or the famous Saints draft class, right? Just, just one of these drafts where everybody's just a hit and it just vaults you to being a Super Bowl contender. Seems like every year there's a team that has one of those drafts. I don't know that there is a team this year. A lot of people are raving about how great the uh, the the Raiders draft class has been, but let's also not forget that they had like 75 picks in this draft. So when you're looking at cumulative stats, it's easier to acquire more stats. But whatever. I'm not sure anyone necessarily stands out in that regard. Cleveland Furl is not a good football player from what I can tell. Their other first-round pick is not even playing. He's injured. But, you know, the third one, pretty good. So anyways, I want to look at um, that. Shoot, I forgot what else I was going to do. Well, that stinks. <laughs> this is why you got to write stuff down. My show just got cut in half just like that. Gee willikers. Oh, okay, I know. I guess just sort of expanding on what I've been saying about how this year is not really a premium year for football. That's the best way I can summarize that. Uh, before our break, once again, we've got two Instagram giveaways. How, how are we doing on that? One of them is going to close Sunday at noon. The rules of that game are outlined. You can see when you go to Packernet Podcast on Instagram. Right now it's the third photo in. You can see a signed Dorsey Levin's jersey. Click on that. All the instructions will be there. Otherwise, when we get to 600 followers, we'll also be doing a giveaway then. So hopefully this week we'll be doing two giveaways. Please remember the GoFundMe campaign, Packers Fans Against Cancer. There is a link in the description. If you've got even $5 to spare, it would be very, very greatly appreciated. Uh, For those that are new on Christmas Day, we are going to be sending money off to the Madison Childhood Cancer Foundation. And obviously, the more we can send, the better. I'm looking very much looking forward to that. And for those that haven't been here for uh, about a year, yes, I do a Christmas Day podcast because I'm just crazy like that. Finally, there is uh, below that link is a link to my new merch store. Thank you very much to everybody who has bought shirts and mugs and whatever. Uh, just uh, If you want to support the show, I would encourage you to check it out. I got some pretty cool designs. I'm planning on getting a new one eventually. Planning on this week, if possible. I'd like to get this new design up before the 49ers game to give you an opportunity to, to purchase that. Because, I mean, you probably won't get the shirt in time, but I don't know. It'd be pretty cool. I think that's it. Why don't we go ahead and take a little break and uh, talk about that stuff I said. All right, folks, the bye week is over. Time to get back on the wag. We, we've talked about several things, right? This week we got the 49ers game. The Bears game is going to be an awesome game at home that you're going to want to see. And also, I mentioned how many Broncos fans there were in Minneapolis. I keep saying that. Is it in Minneapolis? I think it is Minneapolis, right? St. Paul, Minneapolis, St. Whatever. It's in Minnesota somewhere, floating around. But there were a lot of Broncos fans there. And it would be really awesome to have a Packers takeover completely unexpectedly. Especially for a team like the Vikings that are very emotional. They tend to pout a lot. They're, they're a high pouty kind of team. They come out and see a bunch of green and gold and hear a bunch of go pack go chants and Stefan Diggs is just going to start crying. He's just going to curl up in the fetal position. Start yelling at Kirk Cousins for who knows why until he completes a pass to him and then he's going to cry and start talking about that's my quarterback. I, I, don't, I don't know. He's a weird dude. Point is, if you haven't gone to a game yet and you're considering it, there are a lot of really good options. And also, if you just want to go but don't want to spend a ton of money, the Washington Redskins game is a really good option. Whatever it is you're doing, just make sure you're using the Vivid Seats app. There's no reason not to. You're going to earn Vivid Seats rewards when you do it, which is like a free credit. All purchases are backed by 100% buyer guarantee. 
And whenever it's time to buy, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. There's no reason not to use it. So go ahead and check out Vivid Seats today. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so so let's start with the second thing first. Watching yesterday's game more or less further solidified my thinking that there just isn't really a premier team, and and it maybe it's not even the right way to say it. This year, there there everyone is just close together. There are no real certainties. Right, Denver is one of the worst teams in football. Minnesota is one of the best teams in football. Denver almost won. San Francisco is one of the best teams in football. Arizona is one of the worst teams in football. Arizona almost won. All right, the Packers beat the Chiefs. The Chiefs beat the Chargers. The Chargers beat the Packers. Who's better between Dallas and Detroit? I mean, Dallas is better, but I mean, it was relatively close. And if Stafford comes back, there just isn't a lot, unless we're talking Patriots, Jets or something. If you have hope of an upset, you've had a lot of success this year. And I'm not looking at it and saying necessarily that Minnesota beats Denver 10 times out of 10, especially if we're talking neutral field. And again, remember, we're talking premier team against one of the most struggling teams in football. It should be, I don't know, if not 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10. But you give me one of the best teams in football against one of the worst, and it's kind of like, I don't know, 7 out of 10, 6 out of 10? Tampa Bay had a real shot against New Orleans. I mean, you know, the Saints won fairly clearly, but even, I mean, you got Jameis Winston throwing like four picks again, and they still had a chance at one point of winning that game. It feels like the Chargers and the Chiefs are right on the same level, which is weird because you think about the Chiefs as an elite team and the Chargers as a garbage team, but really they looked very evenly matched. I thought the Chiefs looked kind of bad. Pat Mahomes didn't really look good at all. All right, Carolina, Atlanta. What, what, what do we know about these teams? How much better is New England than Philadelphia? They won 17-10. to 10. No, None of these teams could even score. Philadelphia is struggling to even maintain a winning record here. New England's lost one game, and it was, I mean, it was down to the wire. They're just, you know, last week, despite the fact that everything kind of went the way you expected, that you thought the Chiefs would win, they did. I thought the Jets would win, they did. I thought the Saints would win, they did. I thought the Vikings would win, they did. I thought Buffalo would win, they did. I thought Indy would win, they did. I thought Dallas would win, they did. I thought Baltimore would win. They did. I thought, you know, just down the line, San Francisco, New England, Oakland, the Rams. I think the only two I would have gotten wrong would have been um, Carolina and Atlanta and maybe Pittsburgh, Cleveland. I'm not even sure which way I would have gone on that one. Probably Pittsburgh, but who knows. Despite that, there just doesn't seem to be this wide gap, this massive chasm between the top teams and the bottom teams. There's a big gap in terms of records. Some of these teams are already eliminated, but that's part of what has me nervous going forward. The Packers clearly are better than a lot of the teams they're going up against, but there aren't too many teams that they can't lose to. And that, I mean, the, the good news is that's true of Minnesota, that's true of the Saints, that's true of the 49ers, that's true of a lot of teams. 
But every single one of these games is, is starting to feel like a coin toss. It's almost to the point now that the later we get into the season, the less I have any idea what's going on. Colts and Texans. I, I, I just, 6-4 and Colts. First of all, how are the Colts and Texans 6-4 and four other than they've just played bad teams? I feel like these are both bad teams. I have, I, I, don't, I have no idea. Are the Texans good? I, I, I have no idea. I don't have any idea who's going to win that game. Buccaneers-Falcons, both 3-7. and seven. Are the Falcons super good now? or I, I, I have no clue who's going to win that game. Broncos-Bills. The Bills are seven and three, but that's wildly inflated. I, I, I mean, this is a three and seven team against a seven and three team. Who's going to win? It's very close to 50-50 in my mind. Bills probably, but I have no idea. Giants Bears, no, I, no idea. The Bears are minus seven. That to me is ridiculous. The Bears can't score points. I mean, the Giants have a terrible defense. I just, I, I don't know who's going to win that game. Steelers Bengals. I mean. Obviously, everyone assumes the Steelers, but would anybody really be that surprised if the Steelers fell and the Bengals got their first win? I don't think so. Dolphins-Browns. Browns should win. They're minus 10.5. This is a 4-6 and six team going up against a 2-8 and eight team, though. No clue. Panthers-Saints. I don't have a clue. Should be the Saints, but I have no idea. Could, is it impossible Christian McCaffrey goes off and these wide receivers have a good day? Panthers' defense gets a little bit of, little bit of juice. Raiders-Jets should be the Raiders, but I, I don't know. Seahawks-Eagles, probably the Seahawks. The Eagles are actually favorites in that game. So again, I just, I don't I no, I don't know what's going on. Lions-Redskins, I don't know. Jaguars-Titans, no idea. Cowboys-Patriots, probably Patriots because it's the Patriots. But do the Cowboys have what it takes to beat the Patriots? Of course they do. Yes, absolutely. Packers-49ers, no idea. You can probably make a case for both teams that these records are somewhat overinflated because of an easy schedule. I don't know if the Packers have had necessarily an easy schedule, but you know, taken out of context, you could say that. It's been middle of the pack, as I said. If you look at strength of schedule, it's kind of right in the middle. Same with the 49ers, though. Ravens-Rams, probably Ravens. And that, that one I feel like I'm confident in, but I also think there's recency bias, right? We've seen the Rams kind of fall, and it, it's kind of like one of those hard-to-watch car crashes. And the Ravens are being hailed now, because this is what the media does, as the greatest team ever. They're going to win the Super because they've had like two really good games, right? Because their quarterback is just absolutely freaking out, taking off. It's great. It's huge. And then we just make this mistake of assuming this is just what it is. And we want to ride bandwagons because, you know, then we get more clicks and more views and all that stuff. So we're on the Ravens bandwagon. But right now, Vegas has the Ravens as two and a half point favorites. It's like 50-50. I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. Even the games that are supposedly really big favorites, like the Saints minus 9, eh, probably. The Browns minus 10.5 is ridiculous to me. The Bears minus 7 is a joke. Anybody that would bet on the Bears minus 7, I don't care who the opponent is, that's ridiculous. Steelers minus 7 against the Bengals, eh. I mean, I get it, but I'm not putting 7 on the Steelers ever. I, I just, I got nothing, man. It's just, it's just a weird year. And again, there, there are teams that have emerged based on their record, but I don't know that there are certain teams that are necessarily just heads and tails above other teams that have a lesser record. Again, case in point, the 3-7 and seven Broncos against the 7-3 and three Bills. I don't really actually believe that the difference between these two teams is as divergent as the record would imply. And so it's sort of good and bad. It's good because I don't think that this is the kind of year like last year was, where you're looking at these behemoths that just look like they cannot be beaten. And you think, man, this is a bad year to be a good team, like the Bears had last year. Like, yeah, we're finally good. And it's like, dude, everybody is freakishly good this year. I mean, just look at the Colts last year. It was ridiculous. Their defense, 
And just everything was just ridiculous. And that was just one of the teams. Saints were just basically unbeatable. I mean, it was ridiculous last year. And so you don't feel the sense of security that if you're a really good team, you're just not going to lose. Because already we've seen the, the, the Goliaths fall to teams they shouldn't have. The Packers fell to the Chargers. The Saints have already lost two. There, I mean, there aren't any undefeated teams anymore. There haven't been for some time. And so it's just this, this sort of feeling of uncertainty where I think you have a lot of teams that kind of feel like frauds, with the exception of the Patriots, although they should feel like If there were any other team, they would feel like frauds because they, their record is wildly inflated because they've had the second easiest schedule of anybody in the NFL outside of the Buffalo Bills. However, because the Patriots have won as many Super Bowls as they have, they will never feel like frauds, and probably rightly so. But it's going to be interesting, and again, the Packers are in a very, very good position. Even if they lose this game, which, you know, it it flips, if they lose the game, they're still in a relatively good position because they're going to have an easier schedule than the Vikings are going to have, an easier schedule than the 49ers are going to have. A lot of the teams that they're in in sort of head-to-head competition with, they have an easier ride through the end of the season. And for the Vikings, they more or less have to win out and beat the Packers in other two, even if the Packers beat the 49ers, the Vikings have to win out and beat the Packers in order to take the division. So, again, the Packers are in a really prominent position. And if they beat the 49ers, I mean, it's just, it's, it's more or less game over. Obviously, it's not, and there are other things that can still happen, but it's going to be hard. If the Packers beat the 49ers, it's going to be hard to see a scenario in which the Packers aren't the, I don't really know the Saints situation, but it, 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 there's a very good chance they get a first-round bye. Let me just put it that way. Because the 49ers overtaking the Packers or the Vikings overtaking the Packers are pretty low probability. And then really it just comes down to the Seahawks, who I think also have a relatively difficult schedule. And so you'd have a situation where even if the Vikings won, the Packers would end the season at 13-3, and which would mean the Vikings, if they continue to win out and beat the Packers, they would also be 13-3 and but would lose the tiebreaker to the Packers. The 49ers could still beat the Packers because if they lose to the Packers, they would be 14-2, uh, and two, but the, if that's only if they win out the rest of the, the season, which again is unlikely. And if they fall one more game outside of the Packers, they're also 13-3. and three. And then you look at the Green Bay Packers having beaten them, although I'm not exactly sure how that works. I don't know if it's head-to-head, if it's outside of the division. Either way, good chance the Packers are ahead. And then you're looking at the Seahawks with two losses. They very likely are going to fall one more. The Saints have two losses if they fall. So, I don't know. There are situations where one loss makes them not get a bye, but it's just it's just unlikely. So, I mean, you know, beating the 49ers is massive. Now, if you beat the 49ers and lose to the Giants, then you just completely shot yourself right in the face. But presumably, if you just beat the teams you're supposed to beat, that is the Giants, the Redskins, the Lions, and the Bears, the only real competition... This is what I said yesterday, right? There's, there's four games that matter. The 49ers and the Vikings, and if you take care of that, you've got two home games to worry about in the playoffs. Those are the four games that matter that get you into the Super Bowl. So, you know, it, it kind of just feels like another week, and it, it's true that if we lose, it's, it's not that big of an impact. The reason it's a big game is because if we win, the implications are massive, because now the 49ers get taken down a peg. Now the Vikings have, have a very, very, very low chance of taking the division. It's just, I mean, everything is blown wide open for the Packers if they win this game. Right? The 49ers are the last team in the NFC to have only one loss. So that will bring them down to 8-2. and two. And even if everybody else wins, the Seahawks will be 9-2. and two, The Packers will be 9-2. and two. 
and the Saints will be 9-2. and two. I don't know who has a buy or who doesn't, but two losses will be what everybody is. I was hoping that I could find it, but I can't. There, there, there was somebody who posted basically the remaining strength of schedule or records of the remaining teams of the remaining NFC powerhouses, if any of that made any sense to you. So Packers, Vikings, Saints, etc., etc., the teams that are eight-ish wins, their remaining games, what kind of a record do they have? The Packers have the easiest remaining schedule. And although it still feels relatively daunting, let's remember they got to 8-2 and two with not the easiest schedule in the world. They've, they've got to 8-2 and two by beating the Vikings. They got to 8-2 and two by beating the Dallas Cowboys. They got to 8-2 and two by beating the Chiefs in Kansas City. The record maybe isn't quite, or the, the schedule isn't quite as daunting as we would have thought. Chicago in Chicago, not an easy game, but it probably wasn't as difficult as we had expected. But still, I mean, this is... This is a pretty rough record, and you would not expect to be 8-2 and two by the conclusion of this. And so although looking at the remaining schedule, we're saying, well, maybe we fall 2, hopefully we don't fall 3, I think we're, 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 if that's your thought anyways, underestimating what the Packers are doing, considering what they've already done. And, and remember, they beat the Bears and the Vikings and the Broncos before the offense was even clicking. I mean, that those first three weeks when the, when the defense was really on fire was also the first three weeks when the offense just looked like it was not going to get going, and that was the biggest concern. Is this offense ever going to turn around? That feels like a distant memory at this point. The The offense is working. It's not perfect, and it's got a little bit more tweaking probably to do to kind of get going and be nice to get Devontae kind of back up to what he can be and get his touchdowns up and all that kind of stuff, but it feels like a distant memory. And at this point, it's can we get the defense to be like it was in the first three weeks? And if so, my goodness, they're, they're going to be undefeated the rest of the season. I don't care who they're playing or where. Minnesota Vikings at home doesn't scare me in the slightest if we're talking about the Packers' defense and the Packers' offense in, you know, full, just going full throttle. I don't know how to say it. It's just, as I've said before, the the consistency aspect is the biggest problem. Anyways, uh, why don't we take another break, and then I want to talk a little bit about the rookies both last year and this year just to kind of give a little bit of perspective. I know things maybe aren't as good as you had hoped, but it's also possible that your hopes and expectations were way too high. You know, in the hobby, it's not easy of being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We always hype ourselves up thinking we're going to get some kind of a mint signed Jordan Love card or something. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. That is until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, I finally feel like I know what I'm getting. I don't know if you saw the video me and my son did. That was us on arenaclub.com looking for new cards for my kid. Still on our YouTube channel. You should check it out. They have an incredible website. Slab packs are way better than mystery packs. Immediately after your pulls, they put your cards safe in a vault. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club's got the card collection platform that you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. That is a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. What's going on, U.S. Cellular customers? I've got good news, so don't hit skip, at least not yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What is Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks. Like $1,200 off any phone, plus $300 off any tablet. No, I didn't just misread that. They must really like you. 
Us Days at U.S. Cellular exclusive offers just for you, just to say thank you. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get $1,200 off any phone, plus $300 off any tablet. Terms apply. So, first of all, I want to talk about Rashawn Gary. Um, let's see, who was it? Zach Wepfer, I think is who it was. He referenced a quote from the Packers outside linebacker coach about how Rashawn Gary at one point will be the best pass rusher in football. A lot of people are really disappointed that he's not better. And so what Zach decided to do was show some, I guess, highlights of Zadarius Smith in his rookie year. Um, I'm not exactly sure the intent of it, whether it was to show that they look similar. I'm not really sure, but I thought maybe what I would do is take a look at PFF to see what he had done compared to where he is now. Now, granted, if this is a five-year track, similar to what happened with Zadarius, where it was three years of not being very good, a fourth year where it was like, oh, that was kind of, what, where did that come from? And now this year, that's going to be slightly disappointing, but I guess we'll be excited when it happens. But to be clear, in his rookie year, he played 407 snaps. So far this year, he's played 538, so he's about 130-ish snaps more. He's got 57 pressures right now. If we adjust that for having 407, which is the amount of snaps he had in his rookie year, he would have had 43 pressures on the season. In Zadarius Smith's rookie year, he had a grand total of 17 pressures. That is a pass rush rate of 4%. That is so unbelievably, horribly terrible, I can't even put it into words. It feels weird even saying it, because it's like, Zadarius is good, and we know he's good, And it feels weird kind of trashing the guy because it's like, dude, but he's really good. Except he was really, really, really bad in his rookie year. Rashawn Gary has got 160 snaps and has nine pressures right now. Now that's pretty terrible. It's 5.6%. That's really bad. But it's still a little bit ahead of where Zadarius was. If we're just looking at overall PFF grades, Zadarius was a 59.3. Rashawn right now is a 55.6. The biggest difference between the two is the ceiling for Rashawn Gary. Rashawn today is heads and tails more athletically gifted than just about anybody on the entire team, offense or defense. He was, I mean, the biggest name coming out of high school by a lot. I mean, since like Jadavian Clowney, maybe even more so than that. Absolute athletic freak. So when we have a guy like Mike Smith, who is who had done magical things, over with the Kansas City Chiefs, comes over here and has done magical things with the Green Bay Packers pass rushers, who said when we drafted him he was my favorite pass rusher in the entire class and to this day continues to defend him and say that he will be one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Look, you can be disappointed and that's fine, but I'm having a hard time betting against the guy. I just am. And you know I'm, I'm not the kind of person who's shy about saying I don't buy it. I said about Geronimo, I don't buy it. And he is not done anything to dissuade that distrust. Now, I've, I've settled into he is what he is, and I'm fine with what he is. I just kind of pushed back back when everyone said Geronimo is going to be the greatest thing ever. That's when I got into negative mode, and I was like, nope, he's not. He's not very good. And now that everyone kind of understands, he's just kind of a, he's mediocre. He's, he comes up big and, and third down, all that stuff. Once, now that we all agree, it's like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm glad he's on the team. It's great. Big, big old thumbs up. But Rashawn, and the, the other aspect of it is not only do I kind of think Rashawn not only do I know there's a, a chance that he becomes a very, very, very good pass rusher, I don't know that he will, but there's a lot of negativity about Rashawn. And so you know what I tend to do, which is to say, eh, I think he's going to be good. If it, if it was the other way around, everybody's like, oh, Rashawn's the greatest, well, I'd probably be 
trashing him a little bit, which wouldn't be very hard to do because he's already blocked me on Twitter. No idea why. I've never said anything but positive things about him, but I'm assuming he has somebody running his social media that's very sensitive. But even in the bigger picture, his PFF grade this year of 55.6 is not even all that bad. I mean, of course we wanted him to be an elite player. We want him in the 90s, and he's got 70 sacks, and he's just the craziest guy ever. Except that never happens. The average grade of all the rookies for 2019 so far is 59.87. Below average is the average grade. Of all the rookies that were drafted, I'm talking about this year, and there were 67 rookies, excuse me, 66 rookies drafted in the NFC North. Six of them have quote-unquote good grades. Some of them are not even guys that have been playing all that much. Now, it might surprise you to find out that the two that, two of them are Packers, two of them are Vikings, two of them are Lions, zero Bears. Now, if you were to guess who the two are that have good grades for the Packers, you would be wrong. Uh, The highest graded rookie this entire year is Kadar Holman. Now, doesn't necessarily count because the guy's only played one game, but it is what it is. 79.5, he's the highest graded rookie this year. The other Packer who has got a good grade, it's not Darnell Savage. He has completely dropped off. He had three really good weeks. He has not really had a good week since week three. It's Kingsley Kiki. Again, very limited sample size, but he is the fourth highest graded rookie this year. So it's Kadar Holman number one. And actually, you know what? That's not even true because some of these guys are from 2018. Let me do this again. Of the 2019 rookies that are graded good, Kadar Holman, Kingsley Kiki, those are actually the top two rookies this year. Um, then it's Irv Smith, and that's it. Those are the only three that have a good grade this year. And again, we can probably just take Adar Holman off of this, and even Kingsley Kiki is somewhat of a small sample size, so maybe just Irv Smith, depending on how strict you want to be with this, is the only rookie that is, has a, a good grade. Zero very good grades, zero elite grades, three good grades, again, depending on who you actually want to put in that list. Everybody else is average, below average, or worse. Now, to directly address the 2018 draft class, obviously people are looking at Josh Jackson somewhat negatively. He is the second lowest graded in 2019, right? I'm looking at 2019 grades of 2018 prospects. He is the second lowest graded 2018 draft pick behind Jalen Holmes' defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings. But that is to say the Vikings have somebody worse. By the way, the third worst is Tyler Conklin, Minnesota Viking. After that is Tyrell Crosby, Detroit Lion. After that is Mike Hughes, first-round pick, Minnesota Vikings. Then it's Bilal Nichols with the Chicago Bears. Then it's Javon Wims, Chicago Bears. Then it's Deshaun Hand, Detroit Lions. Then it's Roquan Smith, first-round pick, Chicago Bears. Then it's Anthony Miller, second-round pick, Chicago Bears. I'm just going from worst to best. To give you, again, some context, because the idea here is the Packers have a really bad draft class in 2018. I'm going through 2018 in the NFC North from the worst to the best. We've had a bunch of Vikings, a bunch of Lions, and a bunch of Bears. One Green Bay Packer so far, and that's Josh Jackson. Then finally after that, you get Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Oren Burks. And by the way, 59.3, 60.3. So that's when you cross over into the average threshold. Looking at everybody that is below average, you got the Bears, you got Chicago, Chicago, Detroit, Chicago, Chicago, Minnesota, Detroit, Minnesota, Green Bay. And then Minnesota, I had to scroll up one. That's the list of everybody from 2018 that is currently this year below average. And you can can add Marquez 59.3 if you want to. So again, 
you know, nobody really stands out as an elite prospect, but you look at the guys and then, okay, who from 2018 is a good football player? Well, you got Tracy Walker from Detroit. You got Frank Ragnall from Detroit. You got Brian O'Neill, the Minnesota tackle. You got Jair Alexander. That's that's it. So yeah, it's not a ton of Packers, but how many do you expect? Packers have one. Vikings have two. Lions have two. By the way, every single one of them is in the 70s. Again, zero. So in the entire NFC North, not one player from 2018 or 2019 is in the very good or elite categories. And the reason Jair, Jair is actually not even in the good category right now. 69.8 is his grade because he's had so many bad games, especially the last few weeks. He hasn't been done. The, the entire defense is just, ugh, just not good, right? Outside of Zadarius, there have been so many guys who have had so many bad games. It's hard to really point at any one person and be like, that guy is super good. Because there's been so many really bad games. And so, yeah, Jair is not even technically in the good category right now. I mean, he is 69.8. It's a rounding error, but it's... Again, context is all I'm trying to provide here. Who is it we're envying? TJ Hawkinson, right? Oh, I wanted him so bad. He's average. 60 is his thing right now. I know Darnell Savage and Elton Jenkins are like these real big names. 64.9 for Darnell Savage, 67.1 for Elton Jenkins. They're doing a great job. I mean, it, But that's, that's kind of my point. They're doing a good job. I'm not complaining and saying they're bad. I'm just saying that people are taking things wildly out of context. These guys are fine. The draft picks have been fine. Kingsley Kiki is, again, if you want to include him based on his, his, his snap counts, number one rookie over the last two years, unless you want to include um, Kadar Holman, which you probably shouldn't because if he was really that good, he'd be playing. But in his limited snaps, he has been the highest. But I, I would advise you not to include that. And really, to be completely honest, I expect Kingsley to be playing quite a bit more, and he has been. So just to give you a little background, we're, we're, we'll just completely change gears here before we kind of come, come to a close. So that, that's the context, right? Yeah, it hasn't been the greatest, but it's not an indictment on Brian Gutekunst unless you want to indict the entire NFL. This is what the draft looks like. And we got to see how things play out. And, you know, Jair is a very good pick. We got to see about Oren. We got to see about a lot of these guys. We don't know yet. But here's the thing with Kingsley Kiki. Pass rush ability, pretty close to zero. Run defense, however, he's got a very good grade, 81.8. If we don't adjust for snap counts, which we can't because he would be eliminated because he doesn't have very many, he is the 17th highest graded run defending interior defensive lineman in the NFL. Now, take it for whatever it's worth, limited snap counts, all that stuff, but he is 17th out of 185 defensive linemen. His snap counts, by the way, have gone from, let's see, since he didn't play in weeks one and two. Week three, he played 12 snaps, probably due to an in injury, I would assume. I don't really know, but that's unusually high for a guy that hadn't played at all. After those 12 snaps, he earned a little bit more playing time. He's played every week since. Actually, he didn't play week six, whatever. His snap counts were 7, 7, 7, 2, and the last two weeks has been 11 and 11. Given the problems that we've had against the run, given his abilities so far in the run game, given his increased snap counts, all the signs kind of point toward maybe he's going to be given more opportunities. We'll see. Now, the really weird thing is week 10 against Carolina, eight of his 11 snaps came as a pass rusher. So for whatever, week nine, it was nine of his 11 were against the run. And for some reason, they decided to flip it on it. I, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing, but I would expect to be seeing more and more of Kingsley Kiki as the season goes on. And I think there's a chance between him stepping up, between hopefully Kenny Clark stepping up, although against the run, he has not done that yet, with Ibrahim Campbell coming back. This could be pretty impactful. We'll see. And, and really, we'll see is, is 
really the biggest thing to talk about here. Looking at 2018 right now, it just it, it, there's nothing to see. This is why they say you got to wait three years. You know, wait until three years concludes to kind of look back and say, okay, how is this draft class doing? And even then, you know, what what would you have said of, of Zadarius Smith after three years? Waste of a pick. Even as a fourth round pick, you'd look at it and say that was a garbage pick. Then all of a sudden, in his fourth year in 2018, he goes from 40 pressures to 61 pressures, from f- five sacks to 10 sacks. And already this year, he's at 51 pressures. He's already he's what is he? four pressures away from tying and five pressures away from surpassing his entire his his highest of 61 pressures and he has nine sacks compared to 10 so he's one sack away from tying two sacks away from surpassing last year's efforts i don't know so anyway anyways them's my thoughts for the day you folks have yourselves a fantastic tuesday i will talk to you as always tomorrow have a good one and bye-bye